Hey church, uh, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the elders here, and it's great to be with you in this online service. Uh, let's begin with the time of worship, so take it away, Chad and Erica.
righteousness and freedom my steadfast love my deep and
now, some announcements for you at home. Are you ready for them? First of all, we love to pray for you here at ABF. The elders and staff pray for you every week. Text 97000, that's 97000 for your prayers. And we are happy to read through those and to give those um, just some time in prayer. And we'd love to lift you up. Next up, we have our women's gathering, which is on Monday, July 26th, here in the courtyard, 6.30 p.m. It's going to be an awesome time, which is women of the church hanging out. Adrian's got something special planned. Um, so be sure to be there Monday, July 26th, 6.30 p.m. Uh, men, men's retreat is coming up. Mark your calendars right now. It's Friday and Saturday, August 20th and 21st. And uh, Joe Basil is actually going to be speaking there. And if you don't know Joe Basil, John Irwin refers to him as Pastor Scott's best friend. So he is going to be here and it's going to be awesome. If you're at the men's event, you got a little taste of Joe Basil speaking and it was awesome. So mark your calendars for that, guys. Um, the Caneo Valley Meal Program is coming up as well. The next one is Monday, August 9th. Uh, we need more people to sign up for bringing some food, helping prepare some meals. Um, so if you have any questions about that, you can check on the website or on the bulletin or talk to John um, Irwin. He would be happy to help you out there. If you haven't followed us already on social media, be sure to check us out. We're posting lots of great stuff and you don't want to miss it. Um, lastly, thank you for your generosity. Um, as always, you can give online, you can give here on campus in person, and um, those funds just go a long way for the life of the church. And we're just so thankful for um, whatever the Lord leads you to give. Um, that is all the announcements I have for today. So I'm going to pass it over to Josh. Take it away, Josh. Thanks, Ryan. You're the man. So, if you follow my wife on social media, that was ridiculous, by the way. I apologize <laughs> for that. But man, we're having a good time. We are having a good time. So, if you follow my wife on social media, you have undoubtedly seen a lot of pictures of our little girl. Um, but you may have also seen recently the fact that I made a deal with my wife that if Cody Bellinger hit a home run in a specific scenario, that Holly could be a Dodger fan. And I just wanted to set the record straight and tell you that that conversation, that little snippet was taken out of context of a larger story. So let me just tell you what actually happened. So we're on vacation and we're in our room and there was a Cubs versus a Dodger game on. I'm a giant Cubs fan. My wife is a giant Dodger fan. We're watching the game. We leave the room for a little bit to go and do vacation-y things. We come back up. We had left the TV on because let's face it, it's TV in a hotel room. We left the game on. We come back and the game is intense. It's a tie game. It's bottom of the ninth. There's two outs, and Cody Bellinger is up to bat. And I say, Holly, if Cody Bellinger hits a home run right here, you can be a Dodger fan. But if he doesn't, you get to be a Cubs fan. And immediately, my wife jumps all over, is like, no, 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 no way, no deal, no how, that's unfair. Sure enough, seconds later, Belly hits a bomb. Home run, Dodgers win the game. We start cracking up. Uh, it was a hilarious, hilarious moment. Lindsay thinks that because of that moment happening that Holly is officially a Dodger fan because she thinks that on her side of the story that she had like 
negated half of the deal. Like she was only saying no to the part about if she if he didn't hit a home run that he, she wouldn't be a Cubs fan, but she was keeping the part of the deal that if he did hit a home run, she would still be a Dodger fan. I don't understand how you can have one without the other. Doesn't make sense to me. Anyways, all that to say is you take her small little Facebook post and it makes it seem like Holly is a Dodger fan. Taken completely, completely out of context. As we've seen with our new series, Misquoted and Misused, man, when scripture is taken out of context, it doesn't have the actual meaning. It takes away the actual meaning. I know that's a little bit of a stretch, but I thought that was a f- too funny of a story not to share. Man, how great of an idea of a series has this been? Has it been? It's been so good. I've loved hearing what the other guys have come up with and the verses that have stood out. Uh, I'm sure sitting at home thinking about this misused and misquoted series that there's probably been a couple of verses that have come to your mind. The first one that came to my mind originally when the series idea was brought up was a verse that you've probably heard. I almost guarantee you've heard it, especially if you've been around church for any length of time. I feel like even people that aren't in the church have probably heard this verse at some point or another. And this verse is Philippians 4.13. Philippians 4.13. Do you know the verse? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There are two ways that I see this verse misused. The first is is kind of splitting that short verse, splitting it in half, and just taking that first part of the verse. I can do all things. Steph Curry, who is a professional basketball player, really good basketball player, and a professing Christian, he's kind of adopted that first half of the verse, I can do all things, as kind of his tagline. He writes it on his shoes. It's kind of like the Steph Curry motto. And I am not trying to bash on him. I'm not trying to say that he's a horrible person. I think his motives are probably very pure and commendable, just trying to bring scripture out and using his forum to have scripture just kind of at the forefront. However, when you take just the first half of that verse out of the context of the short verse in its entirety, think about the message that that is conveying. It's completely missing the message even of the verse itself. The message of the first half of that verse, I can do all things just taken by itself. The focus is completely on I, completely on I. I can do anything. I am a Christian. I am amazing. I, 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 I. It's a really feel-good and palatable message for the world around us, right? If you think about it, just this concept of, man, if you just sprinkle in a little bit of religion, a little bit of Christianity in this instance, well, then the results are success and achievement. I can do all things. However, that is not the gospel message at all, and that's not the message of even this verse in its entirety. If you think about it, the very next words are through Christ who strengthens me. Through Christ who strengthens me. So the second way that this verse is misused is a little less egregious in my opinion, not necessarily removing Jesus completely from the equation. However, It's just simply detaching this verse from its original surrounding context. The issue then becomes, well, what are these things? What are these all things that the verse is referring to? Is it with Jesus, I can become an astronaut or just even a uh, space tourist? 
Uh, with Jesus, I can become successful. With Jesus, I can handle difficult situations. With Jesus, I can achieve anything I put my mind to. A couple weeks ago, we had Camp ABF here at the church, our church's VBS program for the kiddos. It was an amazing time. I had the honor of speaking on Monday. And for Monday, the theme of the day, as the VBS curriculum had it, was Jesus helps us do hard things. Jesus helps us do hard things. And guess what the theme verse was for the day? Philippians 4.13. I found it super ironic because I was actually already prepping this message and had this message in mind. And so I'm prepping for this, but at the same time, prepping for a message for the kiddos. And that was the theme verse, trying to just say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Just using that to validate this thought that Jesus helps us do hard things. And before you start thinking I'm a horrible person, I don't disagree with that sentence. I absolutely believe that Jesus helps us do hard things. I don't have this righteous outrage at the uh, curriculum for using this verse to support that statement because Jesus absolutely is the source of our strength. He is the one that's given us our giftings. He gives us our success and we are so dependent on him. So I absolutely believe that that sentence is true. It's just that that's not what the original intention was by the Apostle Paul who wrote that verse. That's not what he was trying to communicate. He tacks this verse on, Philippians 4.13, he tacks this verse on the end of a section where he's talking about a very specific topic. So my goal today is not to condemn, to bash, to talk bad about anybody that's ever misused this verse. Rather, my goal, my intention of today is to study this popular, popular verse in its original context and see what the Lord has to say to us today. Because Paul, in its original context, Paul's um, intention, what he's trying to communicate is he's trying to communicate a secret that he's learned, a secret that is still uh, very valid for Christians. And I would go so far to say is, man, what he's talking about here and what we're going to be talking about today is so incredibly relevant, especially for us here today, maybe more than any other time period in history. Uh, I know that's a bold statement, but man, it is so important and big for uh, us to dive into to today. So let me pray and then we'll take a look. Dear Father, um, Lord, just thank you for a chance to be diving into your word. Um, Lord, I pray that you would just speak through um, the scripture that we're going to be diving into. I pray that you would say what you want to say and that uh, you just get me out of the way. Uh, Lord, I pray that I would just communicate clearly and not rely on myself, but rely on you. Lord, we love you so much and we just thank you for a chance to be together. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So as I mentioned, context is incredibly, incredibly important. And it's not just important for the few verses surrounding verse 13, but it's also important to understand what's going on in the bigger picture in this entire letter in its entirety. Um, so a very, very brief backstory of what's going on here in the book of Philippians. Uh, this book is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. Uh, some crazy stuff happened in Philippi. I won't get into all of it, uh, but uh, the Apostle Paul ended up in jail there in the city, and 
He had a crazy experience in jail. He and his buddy Silas are in prison. And during the evening, they're praying, they're singing. All of a sudden, there's a massive earthquake that happens in the jail. And all of the jail doors, the prison doors, just fling wide open. The jailer is about to kill himself because uh, he, didn't, he failed to do his job if everybody, if all the prisoners escape. And Paul says, wait, 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 we're all still here. Don't kill yourself. And he doesn't. He doesn't. Actually, Paul had such a massive impact on this guy that he hears what Paul has to say. He hears the good news of Jesus. He and his entire household are saved. They come to a saving relationship with Jesus and they become a part of this church in Philippi. Now, I tell you even just a little bit of that backstory so you understand what's going on in the church in Philippi. This is just kind of a little snapshot. But man, this church loves the Apostle Paul. He has had such a, a massive impact on their church and on their people. You think about the jailer and his family. I think about the inmates that were in prison. Like what kind of impact Paul and Silas had on them in the prison that they would be willing to stay in prison even though all the prison doors came out. Uh, they loved Paul. And so later on, when they find out that Paul's in prison again, they wanna help. They wanna do something. So what they do is they send some financial support to him through a good friend, Epaphroditus. And so while Paul is receiving this gift from Epaphroditus in the Philippian church, he hears the update on how the church is doing and he writes them this letter. So in the letter to the Philippians, there's a lot of good stuff that he covers in there. And here towards the end, he's kind of coming to the end of wrapping up his entire letter. And what he wants to do is two things. He wants to express his gratitude for this gift that they've given him. But at the same time, he wants to communicate that the Lord has been so sufficient. The Lord has been so sufficient, even in tough financial circumstances. So he takes this opportunity to teach them one more huge, huge lesson and reveals a secret that he's learned. All right, you ready to, re uh, to learn the secret that Paul is about to reveal? Starting in Philippians 4, verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So in its context, what Paul is writing about in Philippians 4.13 is contentment. So if you've been around for the last couple of weeks, you might be thinking to yourself, but Josh, Pastor Scott just touched on the topic of contentment a couple of weeks ago. And as I've been going through and studying actually over the last couple weeks, it's been a little bit spread out. Man, I am convinced that the Lord just wants to hammer home this concept of contentment in our hearts and in our lives. Discontentment is an epidemic in our country. It is such a huge, massive issue. It is destroying lives and affecting us in ways that maybe we don't even see. And I think, man, sadly, the church is not immune from this, 
thing of contentment going on today. Discontentment so easily comes in, as Pastor Scott said, we're literally being sold it from like every single uh, angle. Every single like corporation is trying to sow discontentment into our hearts. We have to be on guard. I think it's so important for us to do little inventories, little heart checks of how we're doing in this area of contentment. And so I have just a very brief contentment check before we dive in uh, a little bit more. So a quick contentment check, just a couple of questions for you. The first one is this. When you really think about it, what is your heart's response when others around you get something that's like really, really nice? Like somebody that you know, acquaintance, close friend. What's your heart's response when somebody gets something really nice that you don't have? Are you genuinely happy for them? Are you jealous? Does your jealousy even go so far as to say that you wish that they didn't have it uh, because you don't have it? That's the first one. Number two, do you find yourself anxious, worried, or unhappy over the fact that you don't have as much as other people? Do you end up buying things that you can't really afford and then end up worrying and stressing about it later? Like, man, how am I going to pay for this stuff? Or do you just rack up more and more debt, 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 because you want to keep up? Um, or maybe you're not worried about how you're going to pay for things. Uh, however, as a coping me mechanism to deal with like thoughts of worry or anxiety, um, maybe instead you just go out and shop to make yourself feel better. Maybe that's you. Number three, deep down, do you define yourself by your possessions? Deep down, do you define yourself by your possessions? Uh, I heard this uh, I heard this concept of having big hat but no cattle, and I thought it was hilarious. The question is, do you have big hat, no cattle syndrome? Basically, the thought is giving off the appearance of having a lot, but in reality, not having much other than just a pile of debt. Or maybe uh, you don't have big hat, no cattle syndrome, but maybe you're in the position of just wanting to flaunt how, like, how big your hat is and how much cattle you have because you define yourself by the possessions that you have. Number four, and this is, man, I think this is a big one. Are you obsessed with upgrading? Are you obsessed with upgrading? Do you always have to have the newest, the latest, the greatest, whether that's a phone, technology, car, home? I don't know what it is, but are you obsessed with upgrading to the point where there's something new that comes out? This, this old thing that you have is just it's almost a burden. It's not even worth having. You almost like dislike having this old, old thing. Man, as I was making that list, I just thought, holy cow, there's so much of that that's going to hit close to home. And I'm telling you what, this topic is such a huge deal and absolutely worth diving into. So we know that both from this passage and the others of Paul's letters, that Paul's experienced both seasons of plenty and hunger and abundance and need. And what he's doing is he's revealing a secret of contentment regardless of circumstance. What Paul is saying is that true contentment, regardless of your financial situation, only comes through Jesus. But what does that mean? So I'm going to keep it pretty simple. I'm going to boil it down to two things that we see from these verses and from Paul's life. We're going to get after it. The first thing is that true contentment comes from acknowledging that God is sovereign and choosing to submit 
True contentment comes from acknowledging God as sovereign and choosing to submit. See, Paul knew that God was in control and that he could provide whenever he wanted and by whatever means he wanted. Here in verse 10, Paul speaks about the Philippians' concern for him. Now he's talking about the financial gift that they had sent him. But who does he direct his gratefulness towards? There in verse 10, look, it says, he rejoiced in the Philippians greatly. Oh, wait, sorry. No, that's not what it says, actually. It says that he rejoiced in the Lord greatly. He rejoiced in the Lord greatly. He's thankful for the gift, but he reassures them there in verse 11 that he wasn't worried about being in need because he knows who the one is that's actually providing for him. Think about it. Paul wrote 13 different letters, at least the ones that we have in the Bible. He wrote to seven different churches and three different individuals. Think about it. How many times does Paul ask for money? Zero. Out of all that, he never asks for money. He understood who is the actual provider. In this instance, it's the Philippian church that are physically sending him financial support. However, he knows that it's deeper than that. He knows that the Lord is actually the one that's doing the providing. Question, regardless of your financial situation, are you actually convinced that it's the Lord that is the one that's providing for you? regardless of your financial situation, are you actually convinced that it's the Lord that's the one that's providing for you? I went through a season of life where the Lord just like hammered this concept home into my heart and into my mind over and over again. Um, for those of you that don't know much about me, I grew up in the Chicago area. I went to college out there, got a business degree, and then after school, long, cool God story short, ended up moving out to LA to be a part of a church plant. We planted a church on the west side of LA. The church couldn't pay me for those first couple of years, and the Lord provided in some, some interesting ways. Uh, I was just kind of making a quick, jotted down a couple of ways that the Lord provided over that time. Uh, through construction, through landscaping, through basketball coaching, flag football coaching, private training, campus supervising, background acting, and my personal favorite, jury duty. True story. Um, man, and I'll tell you what, so many times throughout that season of life, there were multiple times where his timing was just perfect and one would end and then the next would start and it would just be like such a flawless, um, like seamless transition. Uh, just so wild. It was an incredible, incredible time of life. And that's not because I had much money. Uh, I really didn't uh, for a majority of that time. It was just so amazing to witness the Lord's sovereign provision. Like it was so clear um, that it was him that was doing the providing. Provision came in various shapes and sizes, but it was undeniably him. And I'll tell you what, um, by seeing him provide over and over and over again, like I, I learned this truth that it's the Lord that's doing the providing. Paul knew the same thing, regardless of the physical source of where the money was coming from, he knew that it was the Lord that was the one that was actually providing. I don't know if you noticed, but there in verse 11, Paul says that he learned contentment. 
He learned contentment. He didn't just naturally have contentment, right? Over the course of his life and after seeing God's sovereign provision over and over again and just recognizing that God is sovereign and just watching him do it over consistently over and over again, that was a huge part. The second part of it though is that he humbly submitted to God's provision. He humbly submitted to God's sovereignty in this area of provision. Paul was fully convinced that the Lord knew his need and that the Lord would provide. Sometimes the Lord provided abundantly, sometimes not so much, sometimes he had a lot, sometimes he had a little, sometimes he had more than other people, sometimes he had less than other people, but either way, Paul submitted to the Lord's provision, whatever amount that was. He was good with whatever amount of provision the Lord decided to provide. Another question is, man, can you say that about your life? Can you say that you're good with whatever amount of financial provision the Lord decides to give you? Whether that's less than other people, whether that's less than you wanted, whether that's in a different way than you wanted, can you say that? See, the act of submitting to God's sovereignty in this area of provision, it's not just in the amount, but it's also the way in which he chooses to provide. Uh, listen to, to Chris a couple of weeks ago. Man, I could just copy and paste his story. How wild is it that the Lord provided uh, for their family by giving them free rent for over a year? Absolutely wild. And I couldn't help but think, just kind of listening to Pastor Scott, listening to Chris, listening to Pastor John, just how like seeing the Lord's sovereignty even and just like bringing these messages together um, and just how we had all kind of gone at it from a different angle and picked our things individually and to see like the recurring themes, to see how contentment continues to pop up, to see how so the Lord's sovereignty pops up. Man, just how sweet the Lord knows what we need to hear, what he knows that our church needs to hear. I just thought that was cool. So I had mentioned that the Lord provided through jury duty and there's definitely a bigger story and just wanted to share this really short version with you. Um, because I think it speaks to this, this fact that, uh, man, the way in which the Lord provides, we just need to submit to that. Um, it was during a specific time where I was asking the Lord two questions. I was asking him, all right, Lord, what do you want me to do for this part-time work, part-time uh, part work um, here moving forward? Do you want me to get maybe something more of like a career thing, something a little bit more stable, earn a little bit more income? Um, and the second question was, uh, not only what do you want me to do for work, but where do you want me to live? I was kind of feeling this tug going down to the, moving down to the west side. I was living here in the Caneo Valley at the time. And Lord, do you want me to move into, uh, like down by the west side uh, to be a part of where the church is? And as I mentioned, I got called in for jury duty down in Ventura. Uh, you guys, if you've been to jury duty, you know how it works. You kind of get called into the different rooms. I got called into a room and they were trying to find a, a, a jury uh, to be the grand jury for all of Ventura County and serve a three-month term. And I was in there and I tried to give like my excuse thing to the judge. And for whatever reason, the judge wasn't having it. And he put me in this pool of 28 jurors. And from that 28, they were going to select 19 jurors to be on the grand jury, Ventura County. And I remember at first, I thought, 
oh, okay, I've got nine outs. Nine outs is plenty. The Lord can do it. But as time went on, as kind of like the hours went on and I was prepping and going in the room for them to like select the 19, I found myself frustrated and angry and just like, Lord, what are you doing? You have to get me out of this because I need to go and get a job. Like I I need to be provided for, you know this, hello, um, get me out of it. It, Honestly, it got so bad that while they were selecting the 19, I was getting so frustrated and so worked up that I literally had physical pain. I have not experienced that another time in my life, but I was so just like frustrated in this moment. Uh, I was experiencing physical pain and I remember they selected one, juror one, two, three, four, five, six. It got all the way to juror number 10 and I couldn't take it anymore. I just, uh, I remember saying to the Lord, I don't know if you could call this a prayer. I remember saying to the Lord, God, if you're gonna have me on this stupid jury, would you just have me selected right now? And sure enough, juror number 11, juror, I, I, I promise you that's exactly how it went down, juror number 11. And I wish I could say that I was like, I had some perspective and I thought like it clicked like, oh wow, maybe the Lord wants me on this jury. Maybe he's going to provide through this jury thing over the next couple of months. But that thought didn't even cross my mind. I was so frustrated. I was so angry. And man, the Lord was so gracious to me and patient with me. And over time, uh, I don't know, it might have been later that evening or the next day, kind of the Lord started giving me a little bit of perspective and seeing that it wasn't as horrible as I had originally thought, like the the world wasn't falling apart. And no, it wasn't the job that I wanted. It wasn't kind of a prestigious or nicer job or longer term thing that I was hoping to get. And it wasn't as much money as I thought I needed, um, or at least as much money as I wanted. But as I looked back, like I started doing a little bit of math and with the mileage payment and the small stipend that they give, it wasn't horrible. Um, in all honesty, it was, it was enough. It was more consistent than the background acting thing and it was less of a hassle. And there was just like a couple other pieces like that. Um, but even bigger than that, I think it was the Lord showing me that he wasn't gonna do the long-term thing, that he was just gonna provide for me in the moment. And another interesting piece of that is jury duty ended the week before the next basketball season was going to start. And I was kind of going back and forth with the Lord, like, Lord, are you going to like, do I want, am I going to do this again? Or am I going to get the longer term job? And just cool to see how he like answered that. And I think I stopped jury duty on that Friday. And I'm pretty sure it was either Monday or Wednesday of the very next week basketball season started, um, which I was able to go back and, and do that again. And then it also answered the question of moving down to the west side because I, I'm not gonna move down to the west side and then commute out to Ventura uh, every day. And it was just crazy to wrap my mind around when I could like step back and see how the Lord had like woven this entire thing all together by choosing to provide for me in this very non-prestigious way. I think I was the youngest person in there by like 30 or 40 years. Um, But just so, like when I think about it now, I'm blown away at just like his sovereignty and his creativity and how he can provide in the most random and crazy wild ways. Um, And he's got the bigger picture. Like he's seeing all the pieces. I'm focused on this one small thing and he's seeing it all. And I remember, man, just being absolutely blown away at his sovereignty 
And man, he provided enough, not always exactly what we want or as much as we think we want or as much as we think we need, but he provides enough. My question is, man, why are we so proud? Why do we resist submitting to God's provision in our lives, either the amount that he's providing for us or the way in which he provides for us? Why do we do that? It doesn't make any sense. So maybe tonight, maybe today, when you're listening to this message, maybe you just need to hear again. The Lord is sovereign. He's good. He sees the big picture. He knows how much you need. Man, we just need to submit. We need to submit to his plan of provision in our lives. I'm telling you, it is worth it. You won't regret it. So true contentment comes from acknowledging God's sovereign and choosing to submit. Number two, true contentment comes from acknowledging God is sufficient and choosing to trust and thank. Verse 12 says this, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I think it's noteworthy that Paul acknowledges that he has learned the secret of contentment not only in hunger and need, but also in plenty and abundance. In times of need, our tendency is to worry. And what we need to do is we need to turn our eyes to him and trust. In times of abundance, our tendency is to trust the wrong thing, is to trust our own sufficiency. And instead, what we need to do is turn our eyes to him and thank him. Find it really interesting that in both scenarios, in both need and abundance, discontentment comes because we want more. Discontentment comes because we just want more. So as a pastor and really anybody that's a speaker or communicator that's going to be addressing a crowd, it's wise to take the audience into account. Um, today, I am not speaking to just a random assortment of, of people. I have prepared this message for Agora Bible Fellowship attenders. And so I think this conversation is actually pretty nuanced when it comes to addressing the modern reader in America and specifically in Agora Hills, because on one hand, it is certainly true uh, for those of us in America and Agora Hills that um, we all have plenty. We all have abundance, as Pastor Scott talked about a couple weeks ago. Um, if you think comparatively around to the rest of the world, by comparison, we all are living in plenty. We are all living in abundance. There is no doubt about that. However, uh, on the other hand, I don't want to discount the fact that even here in Agora Hills, there are seasons of less abundance that arise. Um, I'm hesitant to use the word need or hunger, um, although I'm sure in some isolated cases that, abs that, that can happen. Um, but seasons of less abundance do arise. And so there's part of me, as I've just been processing through this, there's part of me that wants to cite Pastor Scott's passage. He was in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and verse 8 says, But if we have food and clothing, with these we'll be content. With just food and clothing, we'll be content. Just the basic bare necessities, bare minimum necessities. And say, man, we have so much more than that. We have more than food and clothing. 
And there's another part of me at the same time that understands, right? Like I grew up in middle-class America, upper middle-class America, somewhere in there. And there's part of me that understands just the internal struggle that it can be when you're used to having a certain level of living, like a certain lifestyle. And then when seasons come and it's difficult to maintain that level of living, um, I get that that can be hard. So here to an audience of Agora Bible Fellowship members, I want to say this. My question is, who are you looking at? Who are you looking at? Who are you comparing your financial situation to? Lindsay and I, we have a house dream. We have a house dream. Our house dream is... Who knows if it'll ever happen, but our house dream is, man, we think it'd be sweet to have a place in Oak Park, uh, still in Ventura County, not having to mess with LA County. No offense, LA County people, but we don't want any part of that. Um, still in Ventura County, uh, it's close to the church. There's nice neighborhoods. There's nice schools. The idea of having a house with a backyard, with having a little bit more space, both inside and out to populate with some more children, like that just all sounds great. I am not trying to talk bad about our current place. We love our current townhome um, over in Thousand Oaks area. Uh, we love it. It kind of, it, it meets most of the needs. Do we have things that we could complain about it? Sure, we, we absolutely could and do. Um, but man, we love our little house. The thing is, is when we look at like the complaining and the comparing doesn't really come in until we start looking at other places other people's house, other people that have the Oak Park dream already, other people that are buying houses in other parts of the country. That's when there's this discontentment that comes on in. Discontentment, jealousy, I wish I had that. Those mentalities all come in when I start looking around at people that got a better setup than we do. On the other hand, I uh, just last month had a chance to go on our Yugo Mexican uh, Yugo house building trip down in Mexico. And we had kind of our celebration Sunday just last Sunday and talked about the trip. Man, the trip was amazing. It was my first time going and I was blown away, to be honest. It exceeded every single one of my expectations. The food, the lodging, the actual building of the house were all like all exceeded my expectations. And the thing that really, really got to me and blew me away was I was not expecting to connect with and fall in love with the family that we were building a house for. Um, this sweet Mexican family, I just absolutely fell in love with them. Um, absolutely blown away by the trip. I cannot wait for next year, June 12th to the 17th, 2022, mark your calendars. Um, man, I'm legitimately so excited. Um, but a couple of things about the family that we were building a house for. So our, our family was actually two different families. Our primary family was a family of five. It was a husband, a wife, and three kids. And then there was another family of four. So our, uh, the wife in our primary family, her brother, the brother's wife, and the brother's two kids, that family of four came. And so they were a family of nine all living together. And we were going to build this house for them. Temporarily, they were living in this little temporary don't even know what to call it. 
Um, but it was about eight feet by eight feet. It was a glorified pop-up tent. Literally, they had taken the top off of a pop-up tent like we use here in our courtyard sometimes. They had some pallets for walls and then they threw a big black tarp over the top of it. And nine people were living in that temporarily as we were getting ready to build their house. The house that we built, the mansion that we built them was about 20 feet by 15 feet, about 300 square feet with two bedrooms and a small little living room. Nine people. There were a couple of things that, that, that stand out um, from that. And the first is just how ecstatic and overjoyed these nine people were to be getting this 300 square foot house. Um, literally tears of joy and overwhelmed with the provision of this house. And the other thing that stood out was, man, I just couldn't help but be overwhelmed with how grateful I was for our sweet little townhome that we had. And absolutely, the thought popped into my mind, man, we could, we could live here for a while. We could have eight more kids and, and shove, in, shove them in some rooms. Um, but there's just something to how amazing it is when we, when we gain a little bit of perspective of just how financially blessed we are here. Um, it's pretty wild to think about. It's crazy how a change in perspective can make such a huge difference. However, that being said, uh, that's actually not the secret that Paul is revealing here about contentment. Paul does not say, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Just look at those around you who are less fortunate than you, and that'll give you perspective. Then you'll be content. That's not it. That's not what scripture says. Looking around is not the secret to contentment. Looking around is not the secret to contentment. Can it be beneficial? Can it be helpful? Can it give us perspective if the Lord uses it in a soft heart, soft, humble heart? Absolutely it can, but that is not the secret to contentment. You know how I know? because I'm a human being and I know how my sinful heart works. I understand how my sinful heart works. I know very well that is very um, natural for someone like you or I to go down to Mexico and to see that family and to instead uh, uh, be filled with pride and superiority and think that somehow I am better because I have more physical possessions back up at my home in California. And I'm telling you what, you don't have to go to Mexico to experience this and understand what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. The question is why do our hearts go there? Why do our hearts go there? Why do we look down on those who drive a worse car than us? Why do we look down on those that have a job that we view as less desirable? Why do we look down on those who are in a worse financial situation than we are? I'll tell you, I promise you, just looking around doesn't naturally produce contentment in us. We are sinners. We are sinful to our cores. Looking around naturally produces the exact opposite. It produces discontentment and it produces pride. It does not produce contentment. So Josh, what's the secret? How do I get contentment? Well, that's where our verse comes in, verse 13. But I'm going to rewind a little bit and get the full picture. We're going to read starting in verse 11. 
Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I like the NIV version. It says, I can do all this through Christ who strengthens me, right? Instead of saying all things, it says all this, right? Just confirming the fact that this verse is talking about what Paul just got into, talking about contentment. What is the secret to contentment? Instead of looking around, look up. Instead of looking around, look up and acknowledge that Jesus is sufficient. His amount of provision that he's given us is sufficient, right? We talked about that earlier in point number one about his sovereignty. His amount of provision is sufficient, but also he himself is sufficient. Jesus himself is sufficient. Like the Lord doesn't need to give us anything other than Jesus. He's already given us more than we deserve, more than we could ever imagine because of Jesus and having salvation in him. He doesn't owe us anything else. He alone is sufficient. But not only that, He meets us where we're at. He understands us to our core. He created us. He created this world for us to enjoy. He knows how our sinful hearts work. He comes alongside. When we bring our heart to him in humility, he is so faithful to give us perspective, to give us satisfaction, and to give us true contentment. Contentment, is not a financial money issue. It's not. Contentment is a heart issue. It's an issue of our hearts that needs regular attention and it needs some action. It really does. I think it's foolish to expect that just coming to church and maybe just hearing a message about contentment will give us any contentment without actually making some changes in behavior, without actually being on the look and understanding how our hearts are actually working. I would imagine uh, on this video, um, based on how many people are, are watching, I would imagine that there's somebody out there, man, that discontentment is already ravaging your life, maybe to a level that you don't even understand, that discontentment is stealing your joy, discontentment is stealing your peace, maybe even literally stealing your very life because you're nurturing it in your life. You're nurturing it. You're not fighting it. And it takes fighting. It is not something to play around with. It needs to be ruthlessly cut out of our lives. Uh, To cut out discontentment, you need to go to the source. And my guess is you probably already know the source of discontentment in your life if you were to actually think about it. That's my guess. I'll tell you what. I am very content with my TV in my home until I walk in the front door of Costco and I see the 86 inch TV with like the aerial camera going through the mountains and the color dials like ramped up to a thousand. I'm very content and I like legitimately, I don't need a new TV, but when I'm there, I start feeling like I do. And I'm just saying like, I think it's worth, if my heart gets to a point where I can't handle it, like I should not go to Costco. I'm just saying, um, 
And maybe for you, it's not the front door at Costco. Maybe, maybe that doesn't matter to you at all. Maybe for you, uh, it's like being obsessed with going on Zillow, Redfin, or your real estate site of choice that is just like breeding this thing in your heart that your house just isn't good enough. It's just not, it's just not good enough. I need, I need something more. I need something more. Maybe for you, it's technology and it's the Apple website. Man, I just need to have the next thing. I'm so discontent with my current old version of whatever. Maybe it's Carvana or the Tesla website, or just like when you're driving around or I don't know, getting on the Land Rover website or Honda website or whatever it is that just like, man, I'm so obsessed with the new specs. I just need to look around and shop around. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's looking at other people's just like vacations and stuff they're posting about like their families and their latest purchases and that is just sowing so much discontentment in your life because your life doesn't match up to theirs. Maybe it's going to the mall or fashion. I don't know. I'm not like the fashion clothes guy. Uh, so I don't even know where you go to like, maybe the mall. I don't know. But maybe it's that. Like I just, I need to have just like the newest fashions. I need, need, need. I must have. Maybe it's just like shopping on Amazon all the time and just like finding, trying to find the deals and just wanting all that. Uh, all this to say, like, again, I'm not trying to say, and you hear pastors say this, like this isn't evil in itself by, by no means. However, you, like, if you're just honest with yourself, like you know those places that you go that just sow discontentment in your heart. I'm not saying never to shop. I'm not saying never to have a new thing. I'm not saying that at all. Like I think the Lord gives us, uh, provides for us to enjoy some of the things that he has provided. I'm not saying anti-stuff. I'm just saying like do a genuine heart check. Be honest with yourself. Where do you see that discontentment is so deeply rooted in your life that it's rotting you from the inside out? And be willing to cut that off by any means necessary. It is so worth it to cut that off at the source from your life rather than going around living in this place of discontentment. I promise you it is. But Josh, it's so hard. It's all around me. It seems impossible. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's even in the right context, people. That's even in the right context. You can be content in any situation. Regularly bring your heart before the Lord, recognizing that he is sovereign that he is sufficient, recognizing that we just need to come and submit to his provision, whatever amount that is, recognizing that we need to come and trust him that he is able to provide and coming to him in thankfulness, in gratefulness for what he has provided for us. Man, if we we're grateful and focused on that, that thankfulness, how content we would be. And then boom, depending on him to strengthen us and come alongside because he understands who we are, that will bring true contentment. Let's pray. Dear Father, um, 
Lord, this is such a huge thing in our hearts and our lives, whether we want to admit it or not. This is such a big thing, Lord, something that we're gonna wrestle through regularly. Would we be honest with ourselves, with our own hearts, where we're at in this, uh, this place of how things have such a grip and a hold on our lives? Father, uh, we just come to you and we acknowledge that you're sovereign, that you're in charge of it all, that you work all the details together, even the ones that we don't see. Lord, thank you that you're sufficient. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you come alongside of us and give us strength when we humble ourselves and come to you, that you like meet us in that and that you give our hearts contentment. Um, Lord, we're so desperate for that. We're so desperate for that. So today we come anew. We come another time saying, Lord, we're so desperate for you to come in our lives. We wanna be content with the amazing, amazing, overwhelming abundance that you've given us. Lord, I pray for those that might be in situations of less abundance. And I feel like it's, man, sometimes even hard to hear this message when it's in a time of less abundance. Um, I don't know. It's hard all the time, Lord. Um, but I pray for those that maybe are in a season and it just doesn't feel real. Um, your sovereignty doesn't feel real. I pray that you would just um, be so sweet even in the days and the weeks to come. Um, Lord, we love you so much. We're so thankful for a chance to be in your word. We praise you. We pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here, I find my rest. Without you, I fall apart, you're the one that guides my heart. Lord, I
Well, thank you so much, worship team. Thank you guys. Hey, one last thing. I've been reading some parenting books and one that stood out to me is we're reading Smart Kids, Smart Money by Dave Ramsey and his daughter talking about like just financially bringing up our kids to be good stewards, not be um, little entitled punks and uh, to just handle money well. And one thing that stood out And I just wanted to share as we're just wrapping up is Dave said something that stood out to me. He said, contentment isn't a destination. It's not a destination. It's a manner of traveling. And that just stood out to me. It's not like this place that we're going to arrive at of now I am content and forever will be content. But man, how do you walk? Are you walking in a place of contentment? Man, my prayer is that you would walk in contentment this week. We love you. Have an amazing week. We'll see you next time.